And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists, too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. For those just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. I am today and moving forward. Referred to as Q War. Yes, indeed. Um, and stay tuned. We got a lot more to talk about. Um, we're still peeling back the layers of the hate crime slash mass shooting in Buffalo, New York. Um, we're going to discuss some details and try to figure out the whys and maybe kick around some ideas on how we can, what we can do, you know, moving forward. Um, so, yeah. Also, uh, we're going to spend our way Black History Fact talking about a lady named Leia Chase, uh, who the uh, Princess and the Frog movie, the Disney movie, was based on her. Wow. And uh, that felt kind of special. So I'm happy to share that with you. Um, First and foremost, let's discuss how to become a better ally. Baba. Shall we? We shall. Um, You want to take this one? You want me to get it? Uh, This is from TMZ. Okay, let's go. Uh, Justin Bieber, a young man who I've met and, you know, have a lot of respect for, uh, at a concert in Buffalo addressed um, the very, very difficult and impossible, I I have to feel, mass shooting that happened in the city where he was performing, uh, asking his audience for a moment of silence. He didn't waste any time addressing it, you know, right off the bat at the start of the show, um, you know, asked the the people in attendance to join him in the moment of silence. Uh, This was Saturday. So this was immediately at the Key Bank Center, just hours after a man allegedly gunned down at least 10 individuals in what clearly appeared to be a race driven attack. Um, But even amid the bloodbath, uh, Justin called for peace. He posted a few videos showing him talking about the massacre at a few different points in the concert, including right before he took stage where he went into prayer with his team. After that, Justin went on to perform to a pack house full of people who were ecstatic to see him. It sounds like before he dove into any music, though, he took a moment to acknowledge the tragedy and even called for a moment of silence. You can hear people hooting and hollering during this solemn period and Justin called them out asking why couldn't you respect it Um, I think that that part is is important you know for becoming a better ally we sometimes we ask you to share your platform share your voice if you have an audience listening to you please share it but in this instance we thought that this stood out because Justin doubled down on the hey let's have some respect you know and so that's our example for this week of how to become a better ally. Important to point out as well, Ramses, in his IG post, racism will never prevail. God does. We stand with you, Buffalo, and stand against the racist act of terror. Boom. Shout out, JB. All right. Replacement theory. You know what? Let me read a little bit, please. Um, So this one comes from the New York Times. Um, From 1966 to 2019, 77% of mass shooters obtained the weapons they used 
for their crimes through legal purchases. According to a comprehensive survey of law enforcement data, academic papers, and news accounts compiled by the National Institute of Justice, the research wing of the Justice Department. Okay, the reason I'm saying that is because what we have is people going and purchasing legal firearms, right? Um, and this one, this mass shooting, we will be fair. This mass shooting was targeted black mass shooting. There have been mass shootings that have targeted Hispanic people. There have been mass shootings that have targeted our brothers and sisters who uh, are Muslim or uh, from the Middle East. There have been mass shootings who have been indiscriminate. There have, of course, been mass shootings that have targeted LGBTQIA plus brothers and sisters and our family from that, those communities as well. There's a gun problem here. And 77% of mass shooters obtain the weapons they use through legal purchases. Um, in upstate New York, a few months ago, the 18-year-old suspect in the Buffalo shooting walked into vintage firearms in Sleepy Indicott, passed an instant background check without a glitch, and bought a used Bushmaster XM-15 semi-automatic rifle, a copy of the ubiquitous AR-15 used in many other mass shootings. Now, this is the gun that Q was mentioning. He wrote all of this stuff on. Some of the things that I know he wrote was, again, he wrote the N-word at the end of the barrel of that gun. And he wrote, um, I think he wrote, here is your reparations on the gun. Um, that's been a, you know, uh, an ask for black people ever since really the end of slavery. You know, and it was once proposed that maybe 40 acres and a mule ought to cover it, but that never happened. And so we've just been trying to figure it out ever since then. But, you know, a lot of us and a lot of non-black people do feel like there's kind of a debt to be paid there. You know, this economic empowerment would change quite a bit. He also paid tribute to one of his heroes. Good. The aforementioned Dylan Roof. Mm-hmm. And there were other things written on the, the gun as well. Perhaps there were just codes for other white supremacists or whatever, but, um, but yeah. Um, you know, uh, another right-wing media personality mentioned something that if you took the enrollment numbers of all the white supremacist organizations in the country, that they wouldn't even fit into a college uh, or that they would fit into a college uh, football stadium, right? And that's sort of a strange way to quantify racism, because race to be a racist to be a white supremacist doesn't mean that necessarily mean that you need to be registered for and receive the newsletters. You don't have to be an extremist in any form, right? Or you can be and just not be a part of those organizations. Yeah, but I mean, let's, let's say double that number. Say there's say all of the extremists also registered, right? So mm-hmm. now you got two football stadiums or whatever. I think trying to make it like, hey, there's only a couple hundred thousand of these people. In this nation of millions, it's a small number. But we're not just talking about extremists. You and I have talked at length. There are a lot of very, very passive racists. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think angering us even more. Yeah. Those who can be sort of apathetic about it. Well, yeah, it's not a big of a deal. 
it's not really bothering us. So, you know. Right. And it's not alarming to, you know, people on the right because, you know, the things that they fear are, in our estimation, largely imaginary. Um, the things or that, in line with white supremacy. There you go. Now, the things that we fear are real. You know, we've told a story. Yeah. Q and I have told a story before of a real panic-inducing incident that happened to the both of us in Mississippi, driving back home from Florida, where we had to interact with some police. And what's, what's so intense, Ramses, is that we've told that story now, let's say, a half a dozen times. And every time we tell it, it feels less scary because we're further removed from it until this happens. And then I remember why we were so terrified mm. when it happened. Yeah, it's a, it's a real Because it was in the wake of something similar. The, the, the country felt a lot like it does now. Yeah. And driving through the deep south in this country in the wake of that. Like even Ramses and I would stop and take pictures. Because for those of you that don't know, Ramses visited every state. While we were sitting down, while, while we weren't outside, Ram just thought, okay, let me go see this country that he also loves. Because somehow if you don't, if you're not a patriot in the way of the white supremacist, you don't love America. No, no. if you're some, to some degree critical of Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, so now that you bring that back up, my heart just started beating fast. Yeah. Because we were terrified when yeah. that happened. And this is why. These are not one-offs. This is it's more likely that we don't survive that than that we did. And then in the wake of it, we can kind of, whew. but during it, mm-hmm. especially in this moment where Ramses can't see me, you understand I'm outside of the car. It's pitch black outside. There's me and these two members of our law enforcement community in Mississippi at three o'clock in the morning in the wake of George Floyd. I want to add this too. They took Q out of the car and they didn't need to. Yeah. They knew everything they needed to know. So when they came back and said, can you step out of the car? Then it went from scary to really scary because I knew it was a matter of time before it was coming to get me out of the car. Q got out of the car to make the likelihood that he died less. Now imagine I'm going towards these guys and their guns, hoping that that makes it less likely that they'll use them on me. When there's zero reason for me to get out of this car. So that's the difference between real fear and imaginary fear, right? Now I, I'm, I have to be measured here. Fear makes people do strange things, whether or not it's based in a shared reality or based on some delusion, it makes people do strange things, right? These are facts. So I have to say this, right? But a part of that imaginary fear that exists on the right is called replacement theory. So replacement theory, now I'm not going to explain it verbatim, but effectually Replacement theory is the idea that there is an intentional, concerted, deliberate effort by 
liberals to increase the birth rates or otherwise maintain high birth rates for melanated individuals, non-white individuals, and to bring in other people from other countries to help bolster a liberal political agenda through voting or through numbers or through whatever it is. And the reason it's called replacement theory is because a lot of this is, this is largely a white male thing. Um, feel like that subscribe to this way of thinking, feel like they're deliberately getting replaced and written out of their land and their history. Right now we could talk about that because we know that this land actually belongs to our, uh, Native brothers and sisters. Nobody wants to have a conversation about the Aboriginal people. Oh, no, we can talk about it here, though. Nobody wants will. to have that conversation. Well, yeah. Um, but the, uh, the thing is that this has caused. I know you're not going to like this cue. I know. I know that I, me saying this feels like. It, it makes me my stomach turn a little bit, but I know it's true right now. It's hard to say it, but it will always be true because this is the man that I am. And this is the microphone I got. And I got to talk to you. These people that are so scared of me, they're still my brothers. They're still my sisters. And I don't, it's not my responsibility, but there's got to be something there where me understanding their fears and the nature of their fears, maybe I can help them not be so afraid. I, I don't push back hard on that because there's nothing wrong with compassion and empathy. However, you have nothing to base it on. I know. You have the history of humanity that tells you the opposite is true. I know. Right. There's yeah. not a, there's no longer a redeeming quality here. Like I, I know we, we black people specifically, have gone out of our way to not just extend this olive branch, but to create this space where there should be a redeeming quality, right? Where we should be able to point to this young man and the, the, the difficulty of his life and his fears and his ideology and point to how that sent him spiraling into this murderous rage. For what? Why do we have to afford them that? The redeeming qualities don't exist. The road back doesn't exist. Where is this progress? The nation's getting younger. And, and as you said, the birth rates are increasing. We have more people and younger people. How old is this kid? In his 20s? 18. Not even 20. Yeah. This is not some 60-year-old get off my lawn N-word. No. This is an 18-year-old young man in New York. He was born a in very like metropolitan 2004, state. Or something, 2003. Right? The, and the hypocrisy and even the way that they think their own ideologies contradict each other. Sure. Right? We want to... They're going to replace us, right? But then they make self, safe and healthy abortions less available to poor people. That's a great point. So, right, we, we must make sure they have babies. But then once they have them, we have to make sure we keep those people off of welfare. So which is it, folks? Like you're pro-life. 
but you're not pro taking care of those lives once they get here, especially those who are most helpless and can do the least for themselves. It is a very, very confusing pulpit that they preach from, but they're able to peddle ignorance because the audience does not require them to be based in any truth as long as it's hateful and divisive and racist. It flies. Let me offer this. So 2020, Dr. Camilla Westenberg, who's a good friend of the show, um, reached out to me and she says, hey, Ramses, um, the census is, there. there's like um, an effort by the U.S. census to make sure that black and brown neighborhoods are reporting accurately so that we can have enough fire departments and enough schools and enough resources. So we need the census data so that government funds will be allotted appropriately in black and brown neighborhoods. And without people reporting, without people knowing the whys, they won't report without those reporting, you know, the communities suffer. And I will say, because I know this, there is a deep distrust of black and brown communities of the government. Oh, absolutely. So telling anybody with, your business with, with reason. Yeah. Telling anybody your business is not something that you readily do in those communities. But when you see the why, when you see what it's for, maybe it might help out. So I helped, you know, in, in Arizona, where I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, for those that don't know, I'm a radio personality, certainly was back then. And I'm still now obviously a radio personality. And, uh, you know, having a big name and, and having some status in, in my city, um, I was one of those people that could like kind of motivate folks to champion this cause. Hey, let's make sure we all get out there and do this, right? What it did was it gave me insight into what was happening in the country. And you and I have talked about this on the show before, Q. Um, when those numbers came back, it reflected what a lot of people knew to be true, which was that the racial makeup of the country was changing. Um, it just confirmed, again, what everyone knew to be true, that this country, in terms of its uh, percentages, was moving away from a majority white country to a minority white country. Now, they would still be the largest m- minority, but, you know, um, there's well, still, they, still, still the largest singularly the majority. That, yes, there you go, singularly the majority. But um, if if you take all of the minorities and put them together, then it would make up the majority of humans. Now, is that eventually or already? Um, I believe that we're on the cusp of it. Okay. So I don't I don't want to say that it, that's true yet. But um, the writing is on the wall. Like it, it's it's inevitable at this point. There's no way to kind of bring that one back in. Um, so it's a matter of time now. For people who were born in this country, if you were born in the 90s, if you were born in the 80s, you know, born in the 70s, whenever you were born, you know, however old you are listening to this show, you know, maybe you are a white man, maybe you know a white man. I hope at least one of those things is true. Um, Again, those are our brothers, same as anyone else, right? You... If you were a white man, you were born into a country that said that, you know, you could live the American dream. This has been true since the 40s, 50s, you know, this is a country, you know, you can, if you have a little bit of 
stick to itness, a little bit of fortitude and, you know, drive, a little bit of brains, work ethic. You can you can do anything. This American dream, right? Greatest marketing campaign of all time. Well, it's effective. It makes everyone think that they have a, a fair shot at it. Yes. A bold face lie, but yes, effective. Effective. You know, this American dream is yours, right? You can be a rock star. You can be a football player. You can be a titan of industry. You can be a millionaire. You can have the prettiest girl, at, you know, wherever in your town or whatever. She can, she's going to fall in love with you if you watch these movies. And, you know, you can be Top Gun, fly your airplane. You can be, I don't know, whatever. Whatever it is that you think is cool, that's, that's something that's realistic for you, right? And a lot of your reality reinforces that all the presidents look like they could be you, you know, all of the, the judges and the people with prominence, the people on TV growing up in those, in that time, people look like you, um, the people with status, the people who are the heroes in the movies, et cetera. Right. So of course that makes sense. Right. Then you get a little bit older and reality starts to set in and not only did those things not become true because of what Q and I like to call capitalism, <laughs> um, but uh, also you realize that this American dream thing is pretty much the only thing that you got left. Well, I'm not a rock star, but at least I'm American. You know, I'm not a, whatever, but at least I'm American, but I know I'm free. You know, this is a real thing, you know, and this is, this is why we see a lot of, my belief, why we see a lot of flags. Yeah. And American to that group became synonymous with something else. Sure. Sure. But it creates a sense of community. Human beings, we need community that we're social creatures. That's just what we do. It's a tie that binds for a lot of folks and for it to become an us versus them in terms of the American and who, who gets to fly the flag, that sort of a thing. Um, and then, of course, Donald Trump coming along and kind of what, fanning those flames, it becomes Pouring gasoline on those flames. There you go. And all the while, you see the population shifting away from that last pillar that you can stand on. This is our at least this is our country. And I got my rights, freedom of speech. I can carry a gun, you know, got my Bible, got my gun, you know, this sort of thing. Um. They'll die on that ship. Well, when it comes to like, well, wait a minute, hold on. The country is shifting away from, you know what I mean? And then imagine the world changing out from under you that you thought was so solid, right? Even if you're, even if that's all you have and you don't necessarily hate this group or hate that group, but if let's say that's all you have, that's a scary world to live in as it's actively changing away from you. And I, I just need to say that. I need to say that. Before we move on, I want to say this out loud. This is from CNN. President Joe Biden on Tuesday did not hesitate to call the deadly mass shooting in Buffalo an act of domestic terrorism, condemning the racist ideology of the suspected shooter. White supremacy is a poison. It's a poison running through our body of politics, Biden said, adding that silence is complicity. I think it's important to say that part out loud, Ramdas. What do you think? Absolutely. This is Maggie B. Nowen, and we'll be right back with more Civic Cipher after a quick break. Hi, I'm Dr. Miranda Melcher, host of the Just Access podcast. 
we bring you amazing interviews from the world of human rights and access to justice, from Dunja Miatovic, Council of Europe Commissioner for Human Rights, to Liz Evenson, International Justice Director at Human Rights Watch. Whether you're a law student or legal professional, human rights activist, or just want to stay up to date on what's happening with the world, the Just Access podcast is your go-to for inspirational stories and fascinating discussions about the state of human rights today. Search for Just Access on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, there's also a part of this that I feel is important. If we understand sort of the root cause of why people are so afraid, and maybe our conversations, maybe if we come across someone, we can talk them off of the ledge. Maybe we can let them know that there's not a concerted effort. This is just natural. I know it's, we have to say something. So that's what I got. My brother is so hopeful. <laughs> I don't think we would be on the radio. For if we didn't. no reason at all. I don't there's, think we'd be on the radio. We, if we didn't feel we could do something. To support the way that you feel with that regard, my brother. I, hey, man, it's just, it's, I'm living oh, on a prayer God here, man. God bless you, man. <laughs> anyway, it's time for the way Black History Facts. So we'll leave it there. Um, yeah. Buffalo, uh, we're praying for you guys. All the time. Uh, this week, the way Black History Fact comes from Hip Hop Weekly, sponsored by Hip Hop Weekly magazine. Um, the source is the James Beard Foundation. So, I will read. Uh, Leah Chase, uh, she received the 2016 Lifetime Achievement Award. And uh, I'm going to read from that um, article. article so that she... So I can make this breathe, but the truth is she's the inspiration again for uh, Tiana, the princess from Disney's The Princess and the Frog. So this wasn't something made up, imaginary, whatever. This is based on like a real person and I and a real black woman at that. And so I didn't know the roots ran this deep. And so I'm happy to share this with you. All right. The Lifetime Achievement Award is given to an individual whose lifetime body of work has had a positive and long lasting impact on the way we eat, cook and or think about food in America. Trailblazers don't always intend to beat a new path. When Leah Chase first moved to New Orleans in 1940, she chose not to follow her aunts to work in a factory. Instead, she applied for a job as a waitress in the French Quarter. Shout out to the French Quarter. Uh, It was a humble entree, entree, I guess is how I said that, into hospitality, but also the first step toward her groundbreaking role as the chef at Dookie Chase's restaurant, a position that she has held for seven decades. Um, I do want to mention that she has since passed, uh, since this article came out, Um, but I'll read it as it was written. She has fed politicians and civil rights leaders, celebrities, and bus drivers, all while amassing an influential collection of African-American art. As New Orleans-born food historian Lolis Eric Ellie says, quote, Mrs. Chase is an icon of American cooking, of Creole cooking, and of African-American cooking, end quote. In 1946, uh, Leah Lange married Edgar Dookie Chase Jr., a big band leader whose family had owned Dookie Chase's restaurant, a sandwich shop, and a barroom in Treme. 
The neighborhood at the heart of New Orleans is black and Creole culture since 1941. Quote, when we got married, I said, we're going to change things, recalls Chase. The black community had no restaurants. We only had fried chicken, fried fish, and that kind of thing. Inspired by restaurants in the French Quarter, she, re she reinvented her husband's business, adding Creole cuisine to its menu, tablecloths to its dining room, and art to its walls. Most radically, the reimagined Doogie Chase became one of the first restaurants in the segregated South where black people and white people could dine together. Freedom Riders made plans over gumbo and fried chicken, while Thurgood Marshall, Constance Baker Motley, and Martin Luther King Jr. held strategy sessions in the upstairs meeting room. Quote, in some ways, we changed the course of America right here in this restaurant, Chase says. In a moment when trends come and go, when restaurants come and go, when chefs come and go, she has proven the value of fidelity to place, to community, to purpose, says John T. Edge, director of the Southern Foodways Alliance, of which Chase is a founding member. Quote, through her restaurant and her long service to the community, she proved that to invest deeply in one place by way of your restaurant is a higher calling in our world. Quote, her influence extends beyond the mere culinary End quote, uh, says Jessica Harris, author of Beyond Gumbo, Creole fusion food from the Atlantic Rim and longtime friend of Chase's. She's been an extraordinary force for good and for change in New Orleans. She has captured the imagination of young African-American chefs around the country, thereby becoming not only an icon, but also a role model. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina's floodwaters reached five feet inside the restaurant and the damage forced the business to close for two years. Red Anderson, restaurant critic for the Times, Picayune, visited Chase after the water receded. Quote, I have an incredibly vivid image of this hunched over woman living in a trailer in a neighborhood where there was really nobody living anymore. Quote, uh, outside were completely devastated buildings and she was talking so cheerfully about how everything was going to be okay. That's when I realized what Miss, Mrs. Chase was up to. She was assuming a certain responsibility during the interview, sorry, during, during the intervening decade, the area surrounding the restaurant has changed. The Lafitte housing projects, which sat across the street for decades, were torn down, but Dookie Chase remains as a ballast for the community. Quote, it was a neighborhood restaurant in the best sense of the word, in quotes, says Edge. Quote, the people who once lived in that neighborhood have dispersed, but when they return, they're returning to the neighborhood restaurant no matter where they live now. Dookie Chase is still a family-owned restaurant with Leah Chase, now 93, and her daughter Stella Chase Reese at the helm every day. Quote, at some point, they're going to get rid of me and my grandchildren will take over. Chase chuckles. I push hard every day. I work every day. I come into this kitchen and I work. That work ethic, that cheer, these are hallmarks of Leah Chase's life. Quote, Mrs. Chase seeks to see the best in people and seeks to be a peacemaker, end quote, says Ellie. Quote, if you talk to her about politics, what you'll find is her looking for common ground. She's often said, quote, if I can get the people on both sides to just sit down at my table, I think we can work this out. There's an optimism there, a faith in humanity that exemplifies who she is and exemplifies her approach to cooking. For Chase, the queen of Creole cuisine, it's simple. Quote, I don't care if you're the Pope, the president, you have to eat and I can cook for you, end quote. She says, quote, all I do is try to make people happy through food. Now, Disney, 
Princess and the Frog. Based a character on this woman. Uh, I believe she passed in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that's a movie. You know, I have little sisters. Um, when The Princess and the Frog came out, that was the first black Disney princess. Um, I think it might have been 2014-ish when that movie came out, give or take. Um, it felt long overdue but it felt special for that to come out now there's a princess that my sister named princess could dress up like and not feel like she wasn't matching if you will you know that matters the reason we're talking about it today is because there's a woman who lived an inspirational life you might think of her as a chef but we know that a woman like this is special. You know, the way our community works, the way our culture works, that's special. And it is our honor to honor her. And it is uh, a pleasant surprise to know that she was the inspiration for a movie that really mattered. You know, like before Black Panther came out, there was Tiana and the Princess and the Frog, and that mattered. And so- I that, wish we'd had a chance to meet her. That would have been awesome. That would have been incredible. <laughs> But yeah, that's going to do it for us today here on Civic Cypher. So once again, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward, now henceforth and forevermore. Um, thank you for hanging out with us today. Um, today is, uh, you know, we were doing last week's show. We didn't think we would be talking about a mass shooting and having to say the names of 10 people who are no longer alive because of a racist attack in Buffalo, New York. But here yeah. we are. This is last week's show, we talked about a young man being murdered with his hands up. By police, this man was arrested with an assault rifle in his hand while killing people. What a wonderful world. But it's our world. It's the one we got. And we got to try to fix it. And that's what we're doing. So with, you know, the help of our producer, Maggie, a.k.a. Maggie B. Nolan, we're going to continue to bring you this show. Um, in the meantime, hit the website, civicsacred.com. Follow us on all social media. Be sure to shoot us a donation if you can. And until next week, y'all, peace. Sidestepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, 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 like this